You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for whole food, high quality, wildcrafted supplements, look at Ancestral Elements Supplements. I offer a liver and colostrum supplement as well as a wild bear clover tincture. With my background in food science, I'm able to personally formulate and create my own supplement line to ensure the integrity and quality of each product. In both supplements that I offer, none contain any fillers. They're strictly 100% food items, making them completely bioavailable and non-disruptive to the gut microbiome. For further information, go to AncestralElements.com and navigate to the supplements page. Now, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. This is episode 49, Salt of the Earth, the backbone of modern civilization. All right, this week we are going to dive into the complex topic of salt. I'm going to go through the history, which is extremely complex and has a very turbulent past. I'm going to go through what happens when we eat a diet in salt. I'm going to go through the difference between natural salt and lab-created salt and also the mixed data on the physiological response that consuming salt does to the body and to your underlying physiology. As always, I'll post all those studies in the show notes, so go ahead and take a look if you are so inclined. Okay, so I'm going to start with the long turbulent history of this mineral that we call salt. Now, salt really is kind of the backbone that we built our modern civilizations on. It was the most traded commodity really throughout human history since we started establishing civilizations and we became sedentary. Salt was really the foundation for commerce and trade. And it may sound a little crazy because we can get salt anytime we want, but that wasn't always the case. You basically can have salt in a few different ways. You can have salt isolated from coastal regions that contains salt water. You can boil that off and create sea salt, and that's still done today. There are also salt deposits left over from ocean water that and lakes that has have dried up in the mountains. So things like Utah, Salt Lake City, right? You have these salt flats, okay? These areas in the world that have mass quantities of salt. Himalayan pink salt, same deal. So there was these pockets around the world that salt was the dominant economic driving force and commodity that those people traded with. And salt became an extremely important commodity, starting from basically the dawn of the Neolithic Revolution about 10,000 years ago. I mean, it was used and traded far before that, but it didn't really come into its own until people really started to settle in one place. I mean, just for example, the word salary comes from sal, which is the word for salt. So it's kind of baked into our culture a little bit, so much so that we don't even really pay attention to it anymore. So salt being kind of a driving force of wealth and of fortune, right, was something that really can't be ignored in this day and age because it's that important. And it was important because of food storage. So curing meats and vegetables gave stability to the crops and to the meats that were harvested. 
because this was before refrigeration and freezers. And so we people had to find a way to be able to store meat and some vegetables through winter. And salt is the perfect medium for that. You had these kind of colloquial terms in medieval Europe that had a lot to do with the surrounding economics of salt. So phrases like salt of the earth or he's not worth his salt. Salt of the earth was a, was a compliment. And he's not worth his salt was a very derogatory thing to say. Because picture salt being basically the top of the pyramid as far as financial commodities go. If you were a salt distributor or had access to a salt mine, you were extremely wealthy and you could amass a gigantic gigantic fortune in the salt trade. In more recent history, something akin to salt would be gold. The California gold rush and gold is still a very valuable commodity, right? At one point, extreme fortunes were built on gold, and salt was a very similar commodity in its day and age. It's easy for us in this day and age to kind of forget the role that salt played because we typically use it just for taste and flavor enhancement, which people certainly use salt for that throughout the entire history it's been used. But in a lot of ways, salt equaled safety. It was a way to store food, as I stated earlier. It could potentially mean the difference between a good winter or a terrible winter a winter where you have enough calories, or a winter where you are in a bit of a starvation. So you can see there's a tension there when salt starts to be used for food storage. You know, you could almost kind of feel the conflict rise up if your neighbor had enough salt and you didn't have any, right? What do you do? You might steal some, right? And things can get really dicey really quickly when you're relying on a single commodity that could potentially mean life or death. And there have been plenty of wars that were a direct result of salt and trying to acquire either salt mines or just general disputes around trade in regards to salt, right? This is something that has caused serious conflict throughout human history. And as we go further into the 21st century, we've kind of continued the war on salt a little bit. Not so much from a economic standpoint, but from a health standpoint. We've been fighting against salt for decades now, and it's about time the tide shifts, so to speak, when it comes to salt. This fear of salt, or war on salt, really goes back to the early 1900s, about 1904. There was a French laboratory that thought there may be an associated risk with salt consumption and hypertension. And then in about 1970, the Scientific Journal of Nutrition put out that there's an unequivocal link between salt and hypertension. And that's actually not necessarily true. There have been many studies, thousands of studies, not finding a solid correlation between salt and hypertension. There's other things going on. It can have a momentarily rise in blood pressure, but it depends on the type of salt, and it depends on many, many other factors that we'll get into. There was just a meta-analysis released a couple of months ago. Over 600,000 subjects were tested, and the conclusion basically was there's no concrete evidence that salt has a link with hypertension. But yet, the FDA just passed an ordinance saying we need to cut salt by over 50% in products with food manufacturing in the next five years. So there's a lot of back and forth when it comes to salt. There always has been, and my guess is there probably always will be. And really, 
a lot of the back and forth has to do with the type of salt that people have been consuming. You know, as chemistry evolved, as we got more and more technology, we started reducing things down to just pure chemical parts. So we often think of salt as sodium chloride, right? They're just sodium ion and a chloride ion, and they come together and they form a crystal lattice structure that we call table salt. Simple enough, right? And yes, it has the appearance of salt, it has the taste of salt, but there's way more to natural salt than just sodium and chloride. Yeah, those are two components that make up salt. And you can get a close product to natural salt using sodium and chloride and producing them in a laboratory. I've done it myself. But the thing to understand about natural salt derived either from seawater or some type of saline lake or some type of mineral deposit under the earth, there's other molecules and other minerals at play in that salt. Things like copper and boron and magnesium and phosphorus. All these other suite of minerals combined in with the sodium and chloride to create a very complex mineral structure that is natural salt. In general, and I'm speaking in very broad terms right now, but in general, the more complex a food is in its suite of nutrients that you take into your body, the slower it's going to be to release and to break down in your body because your body has more to process. Whereas if it's just two molecules, sodium and chloride, that goes through your body very quickly, and you'll see very a very quick response in your body as a result of that. You know, very similar to, you know, cocaine versus a coca leaf. You know, a coca leaf contains a whole suite of nutrients that's slow to absorb, and you don't get a huge spike. Whereas if you synthesize all that out to a very synthesized reductionist product, then your physiological response will skyrocket. It's a similar type of thing going on with salt. See, sodium chloride, what people generally buy in store and have sitting on their countertop right now, whether it's Morton's or whatever it may be, that creates a very quick physiological response in the body. Whereas if you get natural derived mineral salt or sea salt, it's a different animal. It's a very different thing. You know, Morton has been around since 1911, so just about 10 years or so after the French scientists did their thing with sodium chloride in a laboratory. Morton's came on board and started producing sodium chloride for the table. The whole thing with, you know, the girl with the rain jacket and umbrella on Morton's, her slogan was, when it rains, it pours. And that was because anytime you had natural salt and it got a little bit of humidity in it, some water vapor, it would bind up, it would solidify, it would cake. What Morton's did was develop an anti-caking salt. So it poured freely when it got humid. What this anti-caking agent did was really mess up people's guts. It messed up the intestines. And these anti-caking agents are still used pretty heavily in salt today, unless you're buying a really high-quality salt that's done in a traditional way, which there are companies out there that do those things. These anti-caking agents are very, very disruptive to the microbiome and should be avoided if possible. Generally, these anti-caking agents are made out of an aluminum derivative, and it's been suspect for a decade or so now 
Um, it's been associated with some neurological toxicity and looked at in Alzheimer's disease. And so even if it is considered, quote unquote, safe, best to stay away from it. And it doesn't need to be in salt. You know, it's okay if salt cakes a little bit. Not a big deal. You know, as long as it stays nice and dry. And with the packaging we have today, that's generally not a problem. You know, the other thing that gets touted for table salt is iodine. And that's a synthetic iodine that they put into salt. It's true that sea salt or mineral salt doesn't contain an adequate amount of iodine. But if that's the only way you're getting iodine in your diet is through some synthetically derived table salt, that's a really poor source of iodine. Not a good way to get it in. The best way is through seaweed, which is why I always advocate for algaes and seaweeds in the diet, because you're getting a whole suite of nutrients that you need. And a lot of sea salt has started incorporating a little bit of seaweed in with it, so you get sufficient iodine through your salt, because that's what people are used to. So there's ways to get it. But all it takes is eating some seaweed salad, you know, once a week or a couple times a week, and or, you know, eating dry seaweed. You know, there's things you can do to get iodine. So that argument just doesn't really stand up very well. Not in my mind. Not when you should be getting iodine elsewhere in other foods. So as with anything regarding food or minerality in your body, it's nuanced and it's not just one size fits all. You know, here are the main two chemicals. Let's make that in a laboratory and put it out into the population. Conversely, a low sodium diet has side effects. It actually can increase hypertension, interestingly enough. It starts to modulate renin and aldosterone, which is an enzyme and hormone that regulate that hypertension mechanism in the blood vessels. And so chronic low-sodium diets can be actually very detrimental to somebody's health. Now, it depends on the individual. Everybody's going to vary in their sodium intake, but in general, you want some salt in the diet. Now, using a sea salt or a mineral salt isn't necessarily needed to get sodium in because plants contain sodium. Again, like I talked about, seaweeds and especially plants towards the coast will pick up a little more sodium. There are some salt kind of loving plants that do really well in a saline kind of soil. But unless you're really conscious about getting those types of things in your diet, you're probably going to be pretty low on sodium if you try to cut it out completely. You can go, you know, maybe a handful of years, maybe a decade on virtually no salt, but it's going to have pretty big consequences on the body and it's going to shift hormones and enzymes. So again, there's no one size fits all to even salt, right? Even this mineral that we kind of love to hate, right? But generally people are using salt especially if you're eating some type of processed food. That stuff is riddled with salt, but they generally don't use good salt. It's sodium chloride. It's lab-synthesized salt, which is an issue because it's lacking other minerality to bolster out the things you should be getting in your diet, right? That's an issue. Table salt definitely has an effect on the body. It messes, like I said, with aldosterone, which is that hormone that helps fluid balance and hypertension mechanisms, but it also messes with glucocorticoids, which are a class of steroids, which everybody has, 
But in the kidney, when more salt is thrown in, the kidneys have to hold on to water. So the higher the salt, the more the kidneys will hold water to keep that concentration in balance, to keep that homeostasis in balance. Your kidneys can deal with a lot of salt. I mean, that's what your kidneys are doing. They're keeping fluid balance in your body. Your kidneys have a very innate mechanism for regulating fluid balance and retaining that water balance inside the kidneys themselves, which is why you can get away with pretty high salt for a period of time. And those things will adjust, will automatically adjust. Aldosterone will adjust. Glucocorticoids will adjust. So when the FDA says they're cutting sodium from manufactured foods, I'm actually generally okay with that. Unless the food I'm getting that's processed is using good salt, then I'm kind of bummed out about it. So it depends what you're getting. When you're looking for salt, look for natural products. Look for natural sea salt. Look for Himalayan pink salt, some type of real salt that's been processed down well. I use a Pacific sea salt. It's locally produced. They produce it off of wood fires where they evaporate clean seawater. And it's a very nice kind of flake salt. I mean, they're big flakes, but you can break them up very easily. That's the traditional way salt was created. It was evaporated very slowly off of wood heat, wood fires. And there's a quality to it you just can't get in some type of other evaporation process. It's really nice. It's called Pacific Salt Company. They are out of Mendocino County, which is kind of northern California coast. They're only about two hours away, and I love their salt. They do a great job. But there's other salt. There's some East Coast salts that do a really good job in a, with a very similar kind of naturally processed salt using either sun or a fire or a combination of both. So look for things like that. Make sure they don't have anti-caking agents in them and make sure that they're sourcing clean areas so they can process down the minerals. But thinking that salt is going to cause hypertension is a bit antiquated. You know, it just doesn't quite add up. The science is very shaky. So you can't just say that kind of in passing and have it stand up long term because it honestly won't. You know, there's more and more of a push for natural salt, you know, in the diet. I mean, that's why you see so many different types of sea salts now. You know, you didn't see that. 20 years ago, but it's becoming more of a popular thing because people are realizing that other minerality really matters. You know, it's one thing if you're a healthy individual with no underlying heart disease or kidney disease and you have adequate amounts of salt, not going to hurt you. If you are somebody with cardiovascular disease and prone to high blood pressure, you may want to limit your salt a little bit. But even so, you still should be getting the best quality salt possible when you eat salt. You know, if you go back to the late 1800s, people weren't dropping dead of heart attacks and hypertension, you know, strokes, whatever it may be related to hypertension and high blood pressure. But yet, flash forward to the 1970s, after we've started lab producing table salt, and what do you see? You see blood pressure skyrocket, you see heart disease skyrocket, you see number of strokes skyrocket. Obviously, there's other factors at play 
going on than just demonizing salt, demonizing all salts that have been eaten since humans have been on this planet and learned how to process salt. If you think about the amount of salt consumed before refrigeration, it was an absurd amount, an absurd amount. Every meat product you ate, fish, vegetables, all contained a lot of salt. Think about when you open up a pickle jar or olives, how that salty brine, right? You're eating that months on end along with salted and brined meats and fish. I don't think people realize how long it takes to salt meat. It takes about a month to draw all that moisture out of something like a side of beef. And you constantly have to add more and more salt keep that moisture and that bacteria from growing and developing. And then you can set it out. You can rinse it off and set it out. And it'll last. It'll keep for months. That was how people kept their meat. That meat is permeated with salt. So much sodium. And if it caused an immediate hypertensive response, people would have died a long time ago or come up with a different storage method. So you eat meat products and vegetables cured in salt for years, your whole life, right? That's a lot of salt. That's far more than the recommended amount that the FDA recommends and that's in the dietary guidelines, way more. So obviously something else is going on. It's clearly the quality of salt being consumed. That's probably the bigger issue than salt itself. And then you couple that with our lifestyles today and you've got a recipe for hypertension, right? Lack of movement so you're not sweating the salts out, and which makes you retain fluid, which builds pressure in the vasculature. When you're working fields or you're hunting and gathering, you can consume a lot of salt if you're sweating it out, if you're moving your body. But the minute you get sedentary, your body starts to s store water to deal with the heightened level of sodium. And if you couple that with a bunch of processed carbohydrates and other foods, and are chronically getting it in, then the balance is going to be off virtually all of the time. So there's lifestyle things at play too. You know, then you pile on obesity and you store way less water. There's way more volume in the blood vessels, essentially, because your muscles are atrophied and they're not taking up water in minerals and storing water inside the muscles. The more muscle mass you have, the more water you store. Water and fat don't mix. Water and oil don't mix. We all know this. So if you're obese, of course you're going to have hypertension. You're going to be in a hypertensive state because you're not storing enough fluid inside the musculature and body. You're storing it in the vasculature and in other areas where it shouldn't be stored. So especially if you have cardiovascular issues, or you're obese, or both, you should be consuming the best salt you can get your hands on, because it's going to slow the release way more than just table salt with anti-caking agents in it. You want a slow release so the kidneys have time to gather water and pull water from the tissues to balance all that stuff out. When you consume something like table salt, pure sodium chloride. It's like mainlining it into your veins. It goes right to the kidneys and the kidneys have to work hyper vigilantly to contain that fluid balance. With other minerals, it draws that timeline out. So like with any food, quality really does matter. One thing that you'll actually come across relatively often is that hunter-gatherers didn't use much salt. 
which is kind of preposterous. Certain hunter-gatherer cultures didn't use a lot of salt if they didn't have access to it, and they were isolated in an area that had no salt. But they got salt from other things, such as the gallbladder, or by drinking the blood of animals, because your blood naturally contains quite a bit of salt. People have used salt throughout human history. Obviously, if you're a part of a hunter-gatherer tribe on the coast, or in an area with salt deposit, you're going to use it. It's not like they just didn't use salt. You're going to be consuming highly salty foods, because that's the environment that you're in. If you're in a salty environment, the foods are going to be salty, right? If you've ever ate raw oysters, that seawater that's kind of left over, it's very salty. You know, a lot of times the groundwater, the water you drink is going to be fairly saline. I mean, that's why when you go into a hospital, they don't pump you full of sterile water. They pump you full of saline solution because you need to maintain a proper fluid balance. You need salt to some degree. And it doesn't matter how you're getting it, whether you're getting it from animals, plants, seaweeds, or your drinking water. You need salt to survive. It is an essential mineral. And really, all that to say, don't think that salt is a really bad substance and that it hasn't been used throughout human history, because it has. You know, this is why people have died over salt, because people realized its value. If it didn't have any value, then it wouldn't have been a top economic driver for centuries of human history. So there is a lot more to salt than just sodium chloride and hypertension. You know, that's a narrative that it just doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up to actual science. It might hold up to a particular narrative and a particular time in culture, but it doesn't hold up to true science. And that's an issue. You know, it's hypertension is a multi-system effect. You don't get it by just consuming too much salt. You know, there again, there are multiple lifestyle factors and endocrine factors and nutrition factors that go into being quote-unquote hypertensive. And then you have a cascade of cardiac issues or strokes or whatever it may be as a result of hypertension. But trying to demonize one single thing and saying that we need to reduce it when it's a multi-system failure on many levels is a bit arrogant. It's short-sighted. And I'm not sure if the push to reduce salt is really ever going to change from dietary and nutritional recommendations. I doubt it. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon anyway. But understanding the mechanics of what salt does, understanding when to get it in and when you should start to limit it, depending on your lifestyle and underlying physiology, is important. You can't just demonize one single thing when it is essential to human life. So if I want to leave you with anything I want to leave you with the quality of salt that you're consuming is probably the most important thing. You need to have good, clean, natural salt. Best if you can get it local, right around where you live. If you don't live anywhere that contains any type of salt, then choose a reputable company that does it in some type of traditional way when they process it, because you're going to retain a lot more minerality when it's slowly evaporated, if it's from seawater, or if it's slowly processed from mineral deposits in the ground, you're going to lose a lot of minerality if the processing isn't done consciously and in the correct way. And then just make sure there isn't any aluminum 
or some type of heavy metal anti-caking agent in there. Just make sure it's pure, unadulterated salt. Okay, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope you get outside, eat a well-balanced Five Kingdom diet, and I'll talk to you guys this next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience, and it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have. 